0: Well, good morning, everybody, and Merry Christmas. Again, it is so good to see all of you here this morning to worship our Lord Jesus Christ, especially on Christmas morning. What a better place uh, to celebrate the birth of Jesus and with his family, with the family of God together, singing praises to him and worshiping him. Well, on this fine Christmas Sunday morning in the year 2022, please open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to be studying verses 1 through 7 this morning. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7 can be found on page 573 in the Bibles under the chair in front of you. Again, that's Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. We're going to be looking at Isaiah's prophecy of the coming Messiah. And although the context is one of sin and gloom and oppression, the main point and the most important point of our passage this morning is that in the midst of our sin, While we were still sinners, God has provided to us a Redeemer. And because of that, as we just sang, uh, there is great, great joy. Now, before we read this passage, would you please bow your heads with me as we open our time in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you this morning again as we celebrate the birth of your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask, Father, that you would please open up our hearts and our minds That you might help us, Lord, to see you for who you truly are in all of your beauty. And that we might receive a blessing, a gift from your holy word. Speak to us, Lord. Show us wonderful truths from your law. Feed us the bread of life that we might know and experience your presence and grow in our faith. We come expectantly to you this morning, Lord, as children who look to you, who depend upon you, who trust in you and who believe in you. We have complete faith in you, Lord, in you alone. And so we come this morning to you expectantly. Feed us, we pray. Help us to understand you. We love you so much and pray these things in Jesus' name. All right, Isaiah 9, 1 through 7 says this. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Do you know how often uh, Christmas falls on a Sunday? I used to think that it was every seven years until I looked it up and found out that because of leap year, the pattern for Christmas falling a Sunday is actually every six years, five years, six years, and then 11 years. And they were currently right now in the second six of that pattern. And so the next time Christmas is going to fall on Chris, uh, Christmas Day will be 11 years from now in the year 2033. And then after that, it goes back to the six, five, six, eleven-year pattern. Isn't that interesting? Now, what would make it even more interesting is if I told you, <clears throat> eleven years from now, December twenty-fifth, the year twenty-thirty-three, Associate Pastor Braden Wong, recent graduate with his M.Div. from the Southern Theological Seminary, was going to give to you a sermon from Isaiah chapter nine with his beautiful wife, Sally, sitting right here in the front row, and their one-year-old son, Daniel, in the newly remodeled church nursery. Now imagine one of you, one of you younger folks on December 26th, the day after Christmas, in the year 2033, imagine you're looking back into the archives of Waikai Church sermons, and you just so happen to listen to this particular sermon of mine delivered on Christmas Day in the year 2022 and you read 2022 yes and you realize in astonishment that what i just described about pastor braden wong preaching from isaiah chapter 9 with his wife sally sitting in the front row and their one year old son daniel in the newly remodeled nursery came to pass exactly as i described it i think you'd be amazed you'd be wondering how on earth how on earth could he have known the future You might even think of me as some kind of prophet. Well, of course, I'm just making all of this up, and and Brayden, sorry, buddy. You know, he's probably thinking, Sally, really? (laughs) But you can imagine how shocked and how astonished that person would be if, if that were to really have come true. Now think about this. In our passage this morning, the prophet Isaiah writing some 700 years before the time of Christ, is prophesying about the coming Messiah, Jesus. And he's not just giving some vague references that could be fulfilled by anybody. As we'll see in just a moment, Isaiah uses specific places to help identify the coming Messiah. Now, now let's just say... That my prophecy about the future of Pastor Braden Wong was absolutely spot on. And not only that, but you also found out in 2033 that I had made dozens of other prophecies that came to pass just as I said that they would. You know, I think at a certain point, you'd start to think, wow, this guy Dave Oda is something special. You know, what else does he have to say? Now, I've not tried to count them all up by myself, but I've read that conservatively, Jesus has fulfilled about 300 Old Testament prophecies identifying him as the Messiah. Now, at a certain point, you have to start to think, wow, this Bible is something special. What else does it have to say? Well, that's what we want to talk about this morning, What is the Bible saying? What is God trying to tell us through his holy word? Through many prophecies, just like the one we're looking at today, what is God's message to us? Well, the message is this, that God is in the process of redeeming a lost, sinful humanity back to himself. He is giving us a message of hope. Oh, that this hope is going to be found in his son, in a Messiah, Jesus Christ. And because of this, we can rejoice. Now just to be clear, to redeem something means to buy something back, to compensate for faults or some, of something or someone else. And when you go to the redemption center, you know, and you take all of your aluminum cans, you're basically redeeming your trash for something of value, which is cash. So biblical redemption, therefore, refers to Jesus Christ paying the price, his life, redeeming our trash, our sins, by his death on the cross and giving to us in exchange forgiveness and eternal life. That's redemption, And it is this idea, the theme of redemption, that that is at the heart of our passage this morning. Look with me again at verse 1. At first, this verse is going to seem maybe a little bit complicated, convoluted, but as we will see in a moment, it becomes very clear that verse 1 really sets the stage for Isaiah's prophecy. Chapter 9, verse 1 says, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Now, you might be wondering, what is Isaiah talking about? Well, the first thing we need to understand is who is he talking about? Who is this person or this people who have been in anguish and have been brought into such contempt? Well, he's talking about the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, the children of God who were given God's covenants, God's promises. But these people were now living in rebellion against their heavenly father. Let me take you back a few, chapter, a few pages to chapter one of Isaiah, starting in verse two, and I'll read it to you. And we'll see exactly who Isaiah is referring to. He writes, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel, and they are utterly estranged. Israel... God's chosen people, led by wicked, idolatrous kings, were living in rebellion against their Lord. They had abandoned their God in exchange for foreign foreign idols, and they were embracing the sinful lifestyles of the countries uh, that surrounded them. And because the Israelites abandoned their God, God abandoned them and gave them over to judgment. Their nation would be destroyed and the people taken into captivity by various invaders, first by the Assyrians and then by the Babylonians. And as you read the book of Isaiah, you will see that it is filled with prophecies of doom and judgment. Here in chapter 9, Isaiah is referring to the Assyrian invasion of northern Israel, specifically the conquest of the territories of Zebulun and Naphtali. And he describes it with words like gloom and anguish and brought into contempt because they have been invaded and they have been destroyed. Now think about the Ukraine for just a second. What the people are going through right now at this very moment, that's the gloom and the anguish that Isaiah is referring to. But notice in verse 1, Isaiah says, But there will be no gloom. For her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt. But in the latter time he has made it glorious. What is Isaiah saying here? Well, he's saying what he's saying is this. Actually, one day there will be no more gloom. Because in the former times he brought contempt. But one day in the latter time he will make it glorious. Now, why is that? I think you know. But let's look, at, let's look at it a little more carefully. And I want you to notice that it's very important to understand where Zebulun and Naphtali were located. These regions were located on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. Does that location ring any bells? Why is that location significant? Well, let me read something to you from the Gospel of Matthew that was written 700 years after Isaiah. In Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 13, it says this. And leaving Nazareth, he, meaning Jesus, went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. This is where Jesus lived. And then in verse 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 700 years after Isaiah, Matthew is telling us that Jesus, the Messiah, began his ministry in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. That's why Isaiah said there will be no more gloom. In the former times, yes, because of sin and rebellion, God God brought this land into contempt. But in later times, he will make it glorious when the Messiah first appears in Zebulun. And Naphtali. You see, where there was once only judgment and gloom, God now brings hope and redemption. So although Isaiah writes much, a lot, about judgment against, of God against his sinful and his sinful people, the book of Isaiah is also filled, it's filled with prophetic message of hope and redemption, which now helps to explain the rest of Isaiah's prophecy. Look at verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Where once there was only gloom and darkness because of sin, Isaiah is prophesying that a great light will come to dispel the darkness. Now, when you were little, were you scared of the dark? (laughs) I know I was. I used to ask my mom all the time, Leave the hallway light on, Mom. Leave it on until I fall asleep so that I wouldn't have to sleep in the dark. And then even when I was older, uh, I remember being in the Boy Scouts. and <clears throat> I was going for my Wilderness Survival Merit Badge. And to earn this badge, I, I don't know if it's the same now, but we had to go into a forest and build our own little lean-to's out of branches and leaves and all these things, and then sleep in the pitch blackness. You know, They didn't allow us to have flashlights. We weren't supposed to talk to other people. Uh, There were other boys out there, but we were all separated by like, I don't know, 15 to 20 feet or so. So basically you were alone in the pitch blackness and there was no moon. So really it was pitch, pitch black until someone, and I don't know who it was, someone took their little flint and steel, you know, that thing that you make, you strike and you make a spark to start the fire. We, We all had them and he did that and he made a spark and it lit the entire little place where we were. I mean, everything. You could see everything for just a split second. But you know what happened after that, right? All the boys <laughs> took out our flint and steel and went like, psh, 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 psh. and we're just flashing it. It just looked like lightning going on. But, but we were doing that <laughs> to make light. We're doing that because we were scared of the dark. But just that little bit of light made all the difference in the world. And I think that's sort of the image we have here. Those who are walking in the pitch blackness of their sin have now seen a great light. You no longer need to fear when the light comes. And that's the imagery here. And we know who this great light is, don't we? It's Jesus. Jesus said this about himself in the Gospel of John, chapter 8. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so if you're a believer this morning, you no longer walk in darkness. Jesus Christ is our light. And as we read in Psalm 119, his word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. And so when you find yourself, Christian, struggling as though you were wandering in the darkness. And I think we all find ourselves in that place every now and then, don't we? But when you find yourself in that place, turn to Jesus and follow him. For as he says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This means we go to Jesus. We go to him. Know with all your heart that you have been redeemed by God, that your life, your life has been purchased and your sins have been paid for by the blood of Christ and that your sins have been exchanged for eternal life. Think on those things. Go to him and follow him. In other words, let Jesus lead you. Let Jesus lead you as, his, your, his, as your redeemer And then follow him and follow the light of the gospel and let it transform your situation, let it transform your relationships, let it transform your life. And when you do this, when you do this, no matter what your circumstances, you will find joy. And that's what Isaiah is saying right here. Look at verse 3 through 6. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Because the light of the Messiah was now shining in the world, there is great joy." The nation that was once in anguish and despair and that was being oppressed now prospers and it's multiplied. Where once there was a lack, there is now a great harvest. Where once there was subjugation and punishment and oppression, there is now gladness as joy when a nation divides the spoils of victory. That's what Isaiah is saying here. He's trying to paint this picture. Where once we lived, where the boots of tramping warriors, was not, was all that we hear, they have now all been burned in fire and swallowed up in victory and who is going to win this victory for us it's God God himself God will break the yoke the staff and the rod of our oppressor symbols of defeat and subjugation even as it was broken on the day of Midian now what does that mean on the day of Midian Well, do you remember back in Judges chapter 6 there was a man named Gideon And in Judges chapter 6, verse 1, it says this, The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. Now, this situation for the book of Judges sounds very familiar, doesn't it? The people of God sin and rebel against their Lord, so he brings judgment in the form of oppression. But as we know from this story about Gideon, when the people cried out to the Lord, God heard them, and he responded with mercy. And in the case of Gideon, on this day of Midian, we know that God reduced Gideon's army from 32,000 soldiers down to 300. Now keep in mind, they were going up against a Midianite army of 135,000 soldiers. So to reduce your army, even as it was small at 32,000, to a mere 300, well, that's unthinkable. That's like suicidal. But the point God is trying to make, and he did this on purpose, remember, he did this because he wanted Gideon to know that without a shadow of a doubt, that it was God who ultimately won the victory over the Midianites, And so Isaiah is bringing this idea into his prophecy now here in chapter 9. Israel's victory, their joy, their deliverance is going to come from God alone as on the day of Midian. And this is what we have to remember even today. You see, when we're struggling, especially when our struggle is related to our sin, which it often is, whether it's through our own greed or our anger or our lust or our pride, we need to remember that our ability to overcome these struggles comes from the Lord and from the Lord alone. But so often, we find ourselves trusting in our own strength, in our own wisdom, our own means to get what we think we need and want. And sometimes to help us to remember just how helpless we are, God needs to give us our own day of Midian, he needs to reduce us to almost nothing in order to drive us to Himself. Have you ever been there? I know I have many times, but I'm still learning. You see, God wants us to know, just as He wanted Gideon to know, that only He, our Lord, is able to overcome the oppression of sin. We cannot do this by ourselves, we are helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so what does God do? He gives us a shepherd. He gives us a savior. Look at verses six and seven. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Now, what this is saying is that our redemption, the forgiveness of our sins, our ability to overcome sin, had to come in the form of a child, of a son who was given to us. This is the same child and son of whom Isaiah earlier prophesied in, about in Isaiah 7 when he said, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. That means God with us. God himself had to come and rescue us. He had to. There was no other way. Jesus had to become a man so that he could physically die in our place and pay the death penalty that each one of us deserved because of our sin. So greatly did he love his people. So greatly did he love you and me that he willingly did this So that he alone would bear the terrible wrath of a holy God against sin. Jesus Christ is the only child who would be born and he is the only son who would be given. But he would not be a helpless babe lying in a manger forever. No, he will one day also be enthroned as king. For the government will rest on his shoulders, Isaiah says. You see, our redemption doesn't just end with just the forgiveness of sins, but it comes with a promise, a hope, and a great joy that our Messiah will one day come again and return as king. And he will usher in a kingdom where peace and justice and righteousness will reign supreme forever. And again, this righteousness, this redemption is going to come through a Savior, the Messiah whose name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now these names for Jesus remind us uh, as to why he is called the Savior. Names in the Bible, they had great significance because a person's name was meant to express that person's character. So let's look briefly at the name and character of our Messiah. First, he is called Wonderful Counselor. Jesus Christ is the one and the only one to whom we must go when we are confused and lost. When we are at our wits end despairing of hope and don't know where to turn, we don't go to social media and to the internet to discover the wisdom of men. No, we must turn to our wonderful counselor. He is the one who designed and created us. He knows how we are supposed to work and he knows how we are broken, that our hearts are deceitful that our hearts are so deceitful and broken that we don't even know our hearts ourselves sometimes. And so to Jesus, the wonderful counselor, we must turn. Even when it's hard, even when we don't understand his will and his ways, we must turn to him. Because as Peter the apostle said, to whom else shall we go? He alone has the words of eternal life. We must go to the Word of God, to the teaching and to the testimony of Scripture. This is why we must be in our Bibles daily. We must know what our Messiah is saying to us. We need to hear the preaching of God's Word from Scripture. We need to hear the words of our wonderful Counselor. But we also need the power to change, don't we? Which leads us to number two. Second, Jesus is called Mighty God. Now make no mistake about it, Scripture is very clear that even though you won't find the word Trinity anywhere in the Bible, the concept of there being just one God who is made up of three persons is found throughout the Word of God. Our purpose this morning, though, is not to prove the Trinity, but rather to emphasize, to emphasize that it was nothing less than the power of Almighty God that can redeem a sinful and lost humanity. Only an infinite God could satisfy the infinite debt of sin against an infinite holiness. But because, of our, but because our Messiah is mighty God, we truly do have a Redeemer who can save us from all of our sins now and also sustain us forever through eternity. Which leads us to number three. Third, Jesus is everlasting Father. We're not confusing here uh, Jesus here with God the Father. Rather, the title should be understood Father of Eternity, meaning Jesus alone is the source of everlasting life, and it is in his tender care, the care of a father, that our needs will be met for all eternity, beginning with our redemption. You know, my dad, um, he passed away earlier this year, and although I do miss him and I grieve Uh, his loss I cannot begin to describe to you the comfort and the peace that I have believing that my dad placed his faith and trust in his redeemer Jesus Christ and that he my dad is now with his redeemer the father of eternity I praise the Lord for that I praise the Lord for that because God gives that kind of peace to us even in the face of death. Which leads us to the fourth name. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Jesus is the only one through whom we can have peace with God. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 5, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ The wrath of God against man's sin is completely, completely satisfied. And we are now at peace at this very moment. If you have trusted in Christ, you are at peace with God. That's amazing. But that's not all. Jesus also brings inner peace to the troubled human heart. In Philippians 4, we are told that when we are anxious, and aren't we anxious a lot? When we are anxious, we need to go to God in prayer. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's in Christ that we have a peace that goes beyond all understanding. But I think the main peace that Isaiah has in mind here is that the Messiah's future kingdom will be characterized by peace. The the world right now is longing for this kind of peace, isn't it? Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. But really, it has no idea how to attain it. Lasting real peace does not come through missiles or technology or military might, nor does it come through education or diplomacy via governments and philosophies of men. No, a true Lasting peace will only come when mankind is redeemed when sin in the heart of man is ultimately dealt with and defeated but again who is going to accomplish this well Isaiah reminds us at the end of verse 7 he says the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this The word zeal can also be translated jealousy. Now, when we read in Scripture that God is a jealous God, we need to understand that this is not the sinful kind of jealousy that desires something someone else has because we ourselves don't have it. That's not what we're talking about. See, jealousy can also refer to the way that we protect and that we guard something that we love. And I believe in this case, in Isaiah's prophecy, there is a zeal or a jealousy that God has for his people. And it is this zeal and it is this jealousy that ensures, that ensures that he will act. And he will stop at nothing to save and to redeem his lost people. And this is what the prophet Isaiah is telling us on this Christmas morning. As we celebrate the birth of our Messiah, Jesus, That in spite of our sin, God would stop at nothing to save us. Even to the point of sending his own beloved son to die on our behalf. Now isn't that something we should be rejoicing over on this Christmas morning? Rejoice, for your Messiah has been born But even as we do, don't forget, this story is not yet over. The prophets tell us that Jesus is coming back a second time. He will come again. And Jesus himself asks this question in Luke 18. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And so there is a part that you and I need to play in this continuing saga of redemption. We are to remain strong in our faith, to encourage one another all the more as you see the day of Christ drawing near and to ensure that our faith is passed along to our children so that when Jesus does return, he will indeed find a strong faith in a people who are ready and who have been longing for his return. Amen? Merry Christmas, everyone, and God bless you. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, again, we thank you and we praise you for your word, which continues to help us to see, Lord, just how much you love us. Those whom you have redeemed, Father, their sins have been forgiven through faith. And because we believe and trust in you, Lord, as we reach out to you, I pray that you would continue to grow us, help us, teach us to see, God, that you are all-sufficient for all of our needs, that we find in you everything that we need. Father, as we were reminded even last week, the Father desires to give us the kingdom. Lord, help us to rest in these things, help us to rejoice in these things, and help us this Christmas day, Father, to celebrate and sing praises to you because of these things. We love you so much. We pray these things in Jesus' name.